Well, this is a marathon Monday tomorrow, marathon weekend, of course. Uh, many of us run in this church, and uh, many of us are sad that we're not running tomorrow. would wish we were. Uh, <laughs> I certainly wish I was running again tomorrow, but I'm not. Uh, but we'll enjoy the, the race anyway. Uh, so it's also, as Bernadette said, the uh, weekend. So many folks are away uh, tra uh, traveling for vacation week. But I'm really glad uh, that you're here. Uh, in fact, yesterday we were running, a bunch of us, and uh, parked our car on the side of the, the common. And uh, next minute, everybody's getting phone calls from the police. Uh, like, uh, is this your car? Uh, do you know this person? They need to move it. And like, hey, we're out in a 16-mile run. I was like, I don't know, hoping my car would be there when we got back. But it was. Uh, anyway, uh, many of you might know where this uh, the statue is and who it is and where it is. Uh, if, uh, if you go to school in Hopkinton, uh, at the elementary school, you walk past the statue every day. Uh, and this is uh, Dick and Rick Hoyt. Uh, they've become quite a legend at the Boston Marathon. And uh, so they've done the statue out. And I would like to share a little bit about uh, their story uh, as we move into what I want to talk about today, the vision of our, of our church. So I've got a, a video clip here that, uh, why don't you watch this? It's very, uh, I think, very inspiring, of course, very biased because I, I run, but... Uh, Well, uh, some of you may or may not know, but uh, Dick and his son Rick have run the Boston Marathon 32 times, and uh, their last marathon was going to be 2013, and because of the bomb blast, uh, they decided to uh, run it one more time, uh, 2014. Uh, which also happened to be the last time I ran it. And I remember passing them, because uh, the wheelchair started earlier, uh, I, I passed uh, Dick and Rick in, in uh, coming into Natick, and uh, the crowd was just like, I mean, just unbelievable. The crowd's loud for the Boston Marathon the whole way, but when these guys are going, it's people just go ballistic, as you can well imagine, right? So that video clip, he was swimming, the, uh, doing the Ironman competition, in Hawaii, which is a two-mile swim, and he's pulling, obviously, uh, his son in, in, the, in the dinghy, and then a hundred-odd mile uh, bike, bike race, and then when you've done all that, then you start the marathon, 26.2 miles. You know, so, you know, you're talking about, you know, 13, 14, 15 hours uh, um, going at nonstop. And, uh, you know, there's so many stories that could be said about this, but uh, you know, Dick was um, told when his son was born, his cerebral palsy, just give up on him. He's going to be a vegetable, you know, allow him to die. Don't just, you know, if he lives, put him in an institution. And yet, uh, you know, there's a sense of, no, uh, how about we invest in this kid? And uh, so they did, and he did what seemed like the impossible. He graduated from high school, and then he... Uh, he graduated from college, 
and you know, now when you ask him, when his dad's uh, interviewed or, he, or, or Dick's interviewed him, he said like, uh, what's your life been like? And the guy said, I've just had the most incredible life. It's been the most fulfilling life. Uh, I'm really honored with you know, what my dad has done. And as you could see, the final words he typed there is can. And so that's been their, their, their slogan. You can do it. You can run. You can do it. It, it is possible. You can. And, uh, you know, uh, I got into running uh, because a millennial, that's somebody in their 20s, early 30s, was our youth pastor uh, here. And uh, here I was, a 50-year-old, overweight, under-exercised uh, individual, and some spring chicken millennial comes and says, Rob, uh, why don't you run the marathon? And I'm like, because I can't. <laughs> she said, oh, of course you can. It's easy. It's, you, of course you can. It's really easy. I'm like, easy? She said, oh, come on, we'll just go for a run and you'll see. And I'm like, foolish enough, I went for a run. She said, okay, now tomorrow we're going to just run a little bit longer. Uh, and then on the weekend, we're going to run like far. I was like, how far is far? Three miles? Uh, so uh, next minute I ran the marathon because of her, right? She inspired me and realized you can. And I haven't stopped since then because I actually find it fun. But uh, I want to talk about uh, a vision today uh, and as a church, uh, it's, it's, you know, sometimes it takes a huge amount of effort to do things. Uh, to start a church, uh, it takes a huge amount of um, energy, commitment, but it can be done. I mean, we started this church, uh, I don't know, 16, we, uh, 2016, so in the 1998. Uh, we started in the fall, and, and we've been going e ever since, and it's taken a tremendous amount of energy and and effort and focus uh, to make this a reality. And uh, I've just been honored to be the pastor that long. But I've got to tell you, we, we still, uh, we're still going. We still have a lot of vision for this church. And, and I want to share that vision, uh, the vision of the church with you again today. And you know, I think it's exciting. And, uh, and um, I know for some of you say, well, I've heard this or I've heard part of it. But it's sort of like the politicians campaigning. You know, you say the same thing again and again and again. And, and for many people, I say, I've never heard this. I've never heard this. And uh, it was just recently somebody said to me, you know, I've never heard you preach on the vision. And I was like, really? I feel like I preach about the vision like on a regular basis. So there you go. You know, communicating is like that. You've got to say it again and again. But today I do want to emphasize uh, something different. Uh, another, well, I want to emphasize a, a different aspect of our vision but I want to try and look at the total vision, give it the big picture, but I want to focus on the Great Commission aspect of our vision. So uh, let me uh, just open up with some prayer uh, here. Uh, but I do really want to see, I, I would love each one of you to be able to see what our vision is and what your part in that might be and why that might be motivating and exciting for you personally. You know, I... I'm obviously excited about it, but I, I would like each person in this church to see how they uh, are part of the vision and what, what that facet might be for them. So Jesus, I just invite you to be here as uh, we're trying to do what it is that you told us to do. And uh, Lord, you said go into all the world and make disciples, and, and that's what we're trying to do. And so, Lord, I just ask uh, that you would inspire us today, that you would be here with us uh, today, that you would impart something in each of our hearts like you did with your first disciples. 
And Lord, as, as they've passed it on to the next generation and to the next generation, and that vision has stayed constant, Lord, that uh, we would grasp it and we would pass it on to the next generation. So uh, we realize that that's a big deal and we need your help. So we invite the Holy Spirit to be here and uh, help us to do this. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Let me read uh, two texts that re relate to, uh, often called the Great Commission. Uh, you found these in two sections in the Bible. It's the end of the Gospel of Mark and the end of the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, most churches uh, don't like reading the one at the end of the book of Matthew. Uh, it's almost like ignored, so therefore I'll read the one at the end of Matthew because, you know, I don't know, just, I'm just countercultural. Uh, and the reason most churches uh, don't read the version at the end of Matthew is because it's got a lot of freaky stuff in there, man. It's like the Holy Spirit stuff, and it's weird, and, and it makes you feel uncomfortable, and it stretches you. And it's far easier to just, like, do the, I was going to say the Baptist version, but that's not good. You know, I can't say the Baptist version, but, you know, the vanilla version, just like these. So we'll do both. We'll cover all the angles. Uh, but anyway, the Great Commission, Mark uh, 16. So get this, uh, Jesus uh, crucified, he's died on the cross. Did I tell you he was dead? He was dead on the cross. He was dead, he was dead, dead. He was dead on the cross. He wasn't just sick, he wasn't half dead, he wasn't just maimed. He was dead. He was buried for a whole day. He was dead. And then the third day, he became alive. He, he rose again. I mean, he, he was alive, alive. Alive. I mean, like alive today, alive then. Did I tell you that? Anyway, that's the third day. That's the series we're doing. And he's alive and he's risen. And now he's showing up to his disciples and he's got someone to say to them. And he says, hey guys, listen up. Uh, and by the way, you better really listen up because I'm about to go to heaven and there's a few things I need to tell you before I go to heaven. And one of them is what I'm going to read today. And one of the other things, in two weeks' time, I'm going to be preaching again on the kingdom of God. Uh, that was the other fascinating topic that Jesus thought, okay, I've only got a short amount of time with my disciples. If I want to tell him something, I've got to talk to him about the kingdom of God. So in two weeks' time, uh, I'm going to talk about that. But this is what Jesus says to them. Go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved. Now, this part is the part that people don't like, and they just wish it wasn't in here, and that's why many people don't read it and preach it. But anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. These miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons in my name. They will speak in new languages. They will be able to handle snakes with safety. And if they drink anything poisonous, it won't hurt them. They will be able to place their hands on the sick and they will be healed. When the Lord Jesus had finished talking with them, he was taken up into heaven and sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. And the disciples went everywhere and preached. And the Lord worked through them, confirming what they said by many miraculous signs. All right, now let's read the more uh, well-known version in Matthew, the Great Commission, uh, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, 
Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So, uh, you know, that is, uh, for many, uh, absolutely uh, driving, convicting uh, part of Scripture. For me, it, it was like all-consuming. It's the reason I started the church. It was the reason I said, okay, we've got to do another church. We've got to share this good news with a whole other generation of the different population. With an, you know, more people need to know. Jesus says, everybody, go everywhere, tell everybody. Uh, but at the same time, you know, you've got to kind of have the mindset of, Dick and Rick Hoyt, it's like, okay, we can do this. This is like overwhelming. This is like a, a difficult challenge. This is like, this is big. You know, it's not like something you just decide, oh, I'm in the mood today, we'll, you know, do church. It's like, oh no, this is an all-consuming whole life uh, commitment. So uh, breaking that down into uh, smaller components, and I want to uh, try and run through uh, fairly quickly uh, much of our vision, but I want to try and make it practical, and then I want to spend the majority of our time today talking about this Great Commission uh, as it relates to us as a church. But our vision statement as a church is, is this, that we would encounter Jesus, be transformed by the Holy Spirit, and advance the kingdom. Okay, so here's what I'm talking about with that. Uh, I would love you, uh, if you come here for the first time, if you don't know anything about Jesus, that when you come in here, that somehow or other, you encounter Jesus. Like, Jesus is alive. He's not still hanging on the cross. He's not dead in the tomb. He's like alive, alive. Like alive. Like you can connect with Him. Like He's here. Like He's real. Even though we can't see Him, He's alive. And so what we're trying to figure out is, how do we do that? How do we connect with Jesus? And so... I want us to connect with them. I want people to have their own personal experience and encounter with Jesus. And then, not because I'm telling you with a whole list of things that you need to change in your life, but because the Holy Spirit, Jesus, you fall in love with Him, and an internal conviction happens. And something happens within you, and you say, man, I just so love you, Jesus, that I want to do things which please you. And so, internally, you start changing God gives you the desire to change, and you become more and more like holy, like, like Jesus. And then once that transformation starts taking place, uh, something else happens. And it says, I want to do something about it. I want to tell others about it. I want to advance the kingdom of God. Okay, so that's the sort of, in a nutshell, what I'm expecting and anticipating happens when we gather together in church. Uh, that all those things take place. You encounter Jesus, and you, you, you transform by Jesus, and you leave here, hopefully, uh, a different person, and a better person, and someone that's got some hope and some connection uh, with the Lord. Now, breaking that down a, a little bit further, uh, we see four scriptures that are really great. And these four scriptures really guide uh, how we go about doing church. And so I've summarized those, and you've got in your bulletin insert, we call it the Great Commission, the Great Commandment, the Great Compassion, and Great Companionship. And so we have, you know, a scripture verse attached to each one of those that drives the way we do things. So 
uh, as I said, I'm going to circle back on the Great Commission. I've just read two passages there. But the Great Commandment would be Luke uh, 10, 27. And it's this. It says, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. So, Great Commission. Uh, great Commandment. And the Great Commandment, of course, we also see being fulfilled uh, here at church. Love God. We worship God. We express our love to God. And we love each other. And I took a whole chunk of my sermon the other week to talk about life groups where we get relate, we relate to each other. We love each other um, in group. That's one of the ways that we connect. But uh, the Great, great Compassion, uh, there's four verses which sort of guide us with how as a church we want to show great compassion. <clears throat> Micah says this, The Lord has told you what is good, and this is what He requires of you. Do what is right, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Matthew says this, Jesus said, I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. And then James, pure and genuine religion. In the sight of, excuse me, of God and <coughs> God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. And then Exodus, do not mistreat an alien or oppress him, for you were aliens in Egypt. And so God is saying, listen, we need to have compassion on people. We need to have mercy on people. We, you know, it's a whole different way of looking at people. And as a church, that's a guiding principle for us. We want to do that, uh, not just uh, talk about that. And then great companionship. And when I say great companionship, <coughs> I'm talking about great companionship primarily with God. Like you have companionship with God. You have relationship with God. You're connected to God. That's a companionship that I'm, uh, uh, that I'm primarily talking about. And we get this passage of Moses, <coughs> excuse me, in, uh, in Exodus, and he's got the people are, are complaining, and Moses doesn't necessar necessarily want to lead them. And he makes this bargain with God, and, and it goes this way. Uh, he says, God, look, I just give up. I mean, I'm not going to do this un unless you come with me, unless your presence is with us. And God responds, and he says, I will personally go with you, Moses. And I will give you rest. <clears throat> Everything will be fine with you. And so Moses responds and said, yeah, okay, God, if you come with us, you know, that'll be the distinguishing factor. That's how people will know that we're different from any other people group on this earth. That'll make the difference. If you're with me, yeah, I'll go and I'll do it. And in a similar way, uh, you know, we don't want to run a whole bunch of programs uh, here, we want to experience the presence of God, like God is with us, like we're connecting with Him. Okay, again, <clears throat> wow, I was uh, sharing this sermon with the class before uh, church this morning. I guess I used up half my vo voice on that. So again, make it more practical. How do we, uh, you know, how do we make this a reality? Well, uh, it's sometimes it's easy to get an analogy. Uh, when you're at church and you're small, uh, and we sort of like 
you know, in church sizes. We're not a teeny church, but we're still a, a small church. But we're sort of at the top end of being a small church. And so a small church is like being a, a, a coffee shop. You want to do very few things, but you want to do a very few things really well. So think of Starbucks. Uh, you know, if you go to Starbucks, hopefully you get good coffee and uh, maybe a few overpriced uh, drinks and eats, but that's all they sell. But what they do sell, hopefully it's high-end, it's fresh, and, and it's really good. Uh, but uh, Starbucks coffee, even when they put it in a supermarket, somehow other just doesn't seem to be the same. Now, if you're a supermarket, uh, you're not Starbucks. And Starbucks knows that they're not a supermarket. Starbucks is not trying to sell fresh vegetables and, you know, we've got a nice uh, fresh cut of meat here. They say, no, no, all we can do is coffee and a few sandwiches. That's about it. But if you're a supermarket, like you do everything. You do great vegetables. You do great meat. You do great bakery. You do everything bigger and better. And if you're caught in the middle, like Kalela's was down the middle of Hopkinton, there was a mid-sized supermarket and they just closed recently. Because why? Because they, it's an awkward marketing position to be in. You can't compete with Price Chopper down the road here, which is a big supermarket, which you know cheaper prices and better quality or whatever. And then uh, Kalela's on the other end has got, hey, there's a farm fresh store just down the road where they've got you know, organically grown fresh veggies you know, and whatever. And so they neither. They're not the small farm. They're not the big supermarket. And, and so, yeah, they're trying to compete on both ends, and it's just very difficult. Well, church is like that too. Uh, you know, so when we're small, we're trying to do a few things really, really well. But then you get pressure because people want lots of other things, expect a lot of things from church. And so as we branch out and we do other things, we have to be really, really selective. Like we can't do everything. And believe me, we have a lot of discussions behind the scenes on this because great things will come up. And we say, no, we can't do it all. We don't have the, the, the time. We don't have the money. We don't have the people. It's a great idea, but we can't do everything. We've got to do a few things well, and we have to be selective. So uh, let, me just, uh, I'm, I'm, let me just try and gather my, my thoughts here quickly. I've got so much I could say today. But... Um, so what we say is like a, the Starbucks mindset for us when we shake it down. What are the few things we really want to try and do really well? Well, we want to try and have a Sunday morning experience be really a good one. We want to have good preaching. We want to have good worship uh, music. And we want to have a good children's ministry program. Uh, that, that would be like the, you know, the basics. If we can just do those basics, that would be great. And then, you know, lo and behold, uh, a, a few years ago, we said, you know, we need to really beef up our family program. We, we need more than just a children's ministry. We need like an excellent children's ministry, and we need youth, you know, and we need to do a youth ministry. And so, you know, Jeff Narelli came on staff, and they've done a great job, uh, you know, getting the children's ministry happening regular every week. We've got a great program uh, for, for our kids where they get to, you know, hear about Jesus and experience Jesus and have relationship with Jesus and in a similar way with our youth. And uh, so uh, we said, okay, great. But now we're saying, okay, how do we add to this? What do we, what do, we do next? What, what's missing in our church? Or, or, or what aspect of church do we need to uh, shore up? Uh, you know, what's happening on that? 
Um, so we've ha had to give that a lot of good thought. But at the same time, we're saying, okay, what about the other greats? You know, like great compassion. Uh, what does that look like? How do we really love our neighbor as ourselves? Uh, so if you want to use non-church speak, uh, you would say something like, what difference does a church make in the town? What difference have we made in Hopkinton or in Milford? And I'd say, well, we've made our share, our contribution. Uh, we, we've tried a lot of different things. We do a lot of different things where we do make a difference. And uh, I had uh, this in your bullets and inserts, uh, and I'm not going to read through all these different things that we do as a church, but uh, I know that most people don't know what else we do as a church. So, you know, some of the things that we do do. We uh, have people go to a nursing home. At Thanksgiving, we give out free turkeys. At Christmas, we uh, provide free kids for uh, toys for kids where the parents are in prison. Uh, we, we do uh, cookies on Christmas Eve for those that are working, police and hospital folks. Uh, and then we do... Uh, Bible study at the women's prison in Framingham. And uh, then for Halloween, we do a thing called reverse trick-or-treat. And then the Hopkinson Parent Teachers Association calls uh, Liz, my wife, uh, fairly regularly to paint faces and do balloon animals. So we do that at many of their events. And then there's a big race, the, the Sharon Timlin Road Race, uh, where we have three tents and we paint faces for you know, I mean, like hundreds of kids, not just like one or two. I mean, we're just like, you know, loving on the community, making a difference, loving our neighbors. Uh, and then uh, in Milford, they got the great, this great bike trail or walking trail. So we sponsor the first uh, half mile from Hopkinton into Milford where we clean it. And in fact, in a month's time, we, uh, it's a trail cleaning. Or not in a month, it's like th three weeks' time or two weeks' time. If you want to help me clean the trail... Uh, join me. It's uh, 9 o'clock on Saturday morning, whatever date it is. And uh, then we do hospital visitations and uh, it just goes on and on. I mean, it's a, there's a lot of things we do here where we say we want to love our neighbors, love our neighbors, be good news, be good news. Okay, now I, I want to talk about this quickly. When people study people, and we in the people business, so we're really interested in different demographics and demographies. Uh, people like analyze how this one group different from another group, and how do we as a church, trying to do the Great Commission, how are we intentional about reaching other groups? And so you've often heard of Gen X. You may not have heard so much of Gen Y, or even less maybe of Gen Z. Uh, but Gen Z, uh, Generation Z, is our teenagers and early 20s. Okay, so uh, demographers like understand them. They're trying to sell stuff to them. They want to wait know how they think, and we want to understand and study them to reach them for the gospel. But so, for instance, in the Wall Street Journal this last Monday was this article: Generation Z, email has become a rite of passage. Now, this is very uh, pertinent to us. You won't believe it, but it is. Uh, maybe not so pertinent for you, but pertinent for me. Your personal hierarchy of life-altering firsts likely includes your first kiss, your first uh, time you're behind the wheel, or the first time you left home. For many members of Generation Z, now in their teens or early 20s, another rite of passage has taken an outsized importance. Sending your first email. Okay, 
you are stunned as what I am. Like, huh? Well, email, I, I don't get that. Okay, hold on. Read more, there's more to come. Uh, this is Sam. He's a, a, a college kid at the University of Maryland. He says, I'm more of an adult now that I send email. Okay. Uh, he says, becoming a person who sends email felt like a bigger rite of passage than registering to vote. Okay. You might think a generation of tech, of tech savvy, of as tech savvy as this one, which can hardly remember a time before smartphones, Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram would have embraced email at its infancy. You would just think email would be nothing. But progress has inverted the order in which Generation Z encounters many technologies relative to their older peers. Many, t many use tablets before laptops, streaming before downloads, chat before email. For them, email is as about as much fun as applying to college or creating a resume. It's painful. The way I first perceived email was, it was something my parents did for work, says Zach Khan, a 21-year-old senior at George Washington University. And then the author says, I heard variants of this uh, sentiment from 15 young adults from 15 young adults between the ages of 16 and 21. Email is for communicating with old people. <laughs> okay, now here's my problem. I'm in the communication business, and I get complaints from people saying, you know, this job, this church is a terrible job of communicating. Now, to, and they say, well, how would you like me to do it better? Here's the solution. What I want you to do is I want you to write up a monthly newsletter or a weekly newsletter, I don't know, maybe even they want a daily newsletter, and I want you to send it to my mail. In the mail, in the post. And I'm like, are you kidding me with a stamp on it? You, well, you might be the only one that will read it, but okay, that's your way. And then I think, okay, we've got email. I mean, everybody sign up. We ask you to sign up, send out email. Everybody gets it. Like, well, why don't you get it? I mean, email. Well, obviously, if you're this generation, you don't, you don't get it. You say, I don't want email. Put on Facebook for crying out loud. I mean, who the heck would check email? If it's on Facebook, I'll get it. You know? And so it's important that we reach different generations. Now, we want to hire somebody to reach a generation that we don't have in our church. It's called a Generation Y. If you're European, it's ger Generation Y. If you're American, it's a millennial, same generation. These are people that were born like between 1980 and 2000 and like two, three, four, around there. There's no exact uh, uh, timeline. Uh, these are people that are in their early careers. They may have like finished uh, you know, a college graduate. Uh, they're also called the echo boomers, the internet generation, iGen, whatever you want to call them. But these people have similar demographics where they're unique, and uh, we need to pay attention to them. But my vision is this, that we would actually reach this age group because it doesn't exist. There's not too many of you sitting in here today that are between the ages of like 23 and, and 35. There are a few of you. Uh, I tell you, this penny should have dropped for me a few years ago when one of my running buddies, who's a millennial girl, and uh, she says to me, she's also Christian, and she says to me, uh, Rob, you know, we've just had this wonderful family just moving to St. Mark's as teachers at the school in Southborough. Uh, they're like 29 years old. Uh, they don't have any kids, 
and they, they're, really in, they're really great Christians. Can you recommend a church for them? And I'm running along, I'm thinking, man, this is like, I don't get this. I said, you know I'm a pastor. You visited our church twice. But obviously, this ain't the church. And I, I'm just, okay, I'm just running. You, you'd think the penny would drop. You'd think, okay, okay. She, she's saying to me like, okay, are you not even on my radar screen as an invite for people of that age group? I mean, you're just like, you're just a bunch of old people. I mean, is there a church that's like got some life in it that's young? Penny didn't drop. I mean, just like, whoo. So, you know, then we had a few people that were in that age group and they just left. I mean, they just they stick around for a year or two and then they, they leave because there's no one else like them. And so that's why I thought, you know, we have to be really intentional. And let me just give you five very selfish reasons why we desperately need to reach this age group, the millennials. Firstly, they're the future, gen the future leaders. Uh, they're going to be the people that we need to be mentoring. They're going to be the next senior pastor of this church. And if they ain't here yet, guess what happens when I die? Yeah, you know, it's like, okay, send out a, you know, looking for a senior pastor, Boston Globe. Oh, no, Facebook. Facebook, senior pastor. Anybody want that job? Because we don't have anybody in the church. There's another reason why we desperately need these people. You know, if you don't reach the next generation, the church dies. You know, like it just fizzles out. Uh, so, like, we need to reach the next generation. And I'm more than acutely aware of something, like we've let this ball go. This is, we're in bad shape. Because if we wait another 10 years, then I'll be like 66. Now, let me tell you something. A 66-year-old trying to reach a 26-year-old, it's a huge gap. I mean, it's already a big gap. Like, you know, as you said, my running buddy, like, I'm not coming to that church. So the longer we leave it, the harder it is. And if we don't solve this problem, you kind of just become a dinosaur and the church just closes. I mean, you, we need these people. We desperately need these people. And like Dick and Rick Hoyt said, we can. We can do it. It's going to take a huge amount of effort, believe me, because they're not coming because this church is really cool and they love it. We have to change. We have to be something different that this is actually a nice environment for them to come. Uh, none of us like changing. But here's an idea. Um, how about if, you know, once a month we had a millennial leading worship with the kind of music they like? Woo! What a, what a, what an idea. And then we all sit and say, oh, that music is too loud, it's too weird, it's too freaky. Yeah, well, like, let's just get used to it. Let's just get ready in advance because that's what we want. We want them to have music that they enjoy and that we can you know, add to it. Like, we can enjoy that culture too. We can't just say to them, hey, come to our church and just love our music. Our music is just perfect. I mean, you love it. I love it. We all love it. You love it too. They're like, no, we're we 20-something years old. We don't love it. So we want to see them, you know, someone leading worship. I'd love to have them preaching. I mean, believe me, they've got a whole different perspective on what they need to say from the pulpit and what Jesus is doing in their lives than what I have. We need them. I need them. We need them preaching. We need them leading worship. We need them, you know, this needs to be their church. We need them involved in leadership. I mean, we de desperately need this age group. So, you know, just from a selfish reason, for our own survival, we need them for our energy, for their energy. We need them for their creativity. Uh, you know, if you got my email this week inviting you to church this Sunday, if, if you got that, you don't realize that the first time, maybe take 26 and I sent it to Bernadette. 
you know, with my selfie stick and, and then <laughs> noticing that there's a mark on the wall and then somebody complains the wall's red instead of you, you should have used the white, this color, and like all the irrelevant things. You know, the 20s aren't worried about that stuff. Just like do it. The guy's driving his car, is taking a selfie, sends it to church. But, you know, we worry about all these little things. Anyway, I finally get this thing done. And then Bernadette uh, opens it up in an email, and I'm, I'm upside down. It's like I'm down from the roof. It's like super freaky. It's like, whoa. Rob's like, I don't know how to turn the thing around. It's like, turn the computer around. I mean, it's like, I don't know how to get the thing the right way around. You know, and so all the millennials are like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. You can't even upload something from your iPhone. I mean, give me a break. We de- I need them. I mean, I believe me, we need them. It's like we're getting older. I'm getting older. It's like I can't keep up with this stuff. Anyway, uh, so let me just say this. Um, I need their passion. I need their, their creativity. We need their energy. I mean, you know, once you've got kids, it's like all the life gets sucked out of you. You say, hey, let's go and do this. We're going to do this great initiative. Like, oh, God, I just need a night off. I mean, I just got kids. I'm so exhausted. You know, the millennials are like, Please, I'm bored stiff. Just show me a cause. Just let me do something. I, I want to do... We need them. We need, like, help around this place. We need volunteers. I mean, every time I go to you and say, hey, can you help me out? You say, oh, I'm so exhausted. Find somebody else. I can't do it. No, I can't. And millennials are saying, please, I need it. Uh, so let me just say, we really need this group of people. But, uh, but here's something that you and I really need to understand. Talking about demographics, what makes them tick. It's something totally different to the way we tick. It, this is totally different. This is so uh, unique to this age group that we really, really need to get this. Otherwise, we're going to miss this. And that is this. For our generation, the whole mindset would have been this. Uh, let's get connected with Christ. And just as I've preached, uh, then when we connect with Christ, we'll be motivated to do the things of Christ and serve in the church. This generation is a completely back backwards. It's a just give me a cause. Social justice. Give me a cause. I'm, re- I'm willing to die for this cause. Just give me a cause. And I want to do this cause in community. I don't want to do it alone. I want to do it in community. And then once they've found the cause and they've found the community, then they come to Christ. And I think our church is perfectly suited uh, for that. We have plenty of outreaches. Just look at them. There's plenty of things you can you want a cause. We've got plenty of causes. We've pl- we, we got a lot of things happening. And we'd love to do it in community. And we would love to introduce you to Christ. I think we, we, we're well suited. But we have to understand that that's the, the progression. It's not Christ first, then community, and then service. It's cause, community, Christ. So we do have something to learn. Now, let me finish off by saying, by saying this. Just hiring somebody is not going to do it. I mean, we all have to participate to make this a reality. Uh, the other way we're going to try and make this a reality is just by having more millennials and Generation Z folks, teenagers, college kids here at church. So we want to open up a bunch of uh, internships. Uh, so uh, this summer we're going to have Sam come back in children's ministry. He's a college kid, used to be part of our church. Sam... Uh, uh, Suki, and he's going to volunteer again. He did a fantastic job last time. And then uh, Liza Birchman is in college. She's going to come back and, and serve in administration. And again, w- w- we're trying to open positions 
paid internship positions so that we can have these folks, we can feed back into them, give back to them, and create an environment uh, for them. Uh, now, when it comes to uh, the, gr the Great Commission, uh, trying to reach this age group and trying to create an environment here, I think we have to see this like a church plant within a church. I mean, it's going to take a huge amount of energy and effort and acceptance from you guys and saying, okay, I'll invite this person in. I'll invite this person in. I'll include them. I'll make them feel welcome and loved. Now, I don't have time to explain this other aspect of the Great Commission, but it so happens that my wife and I are leaving for Spain uh, on Tuesday, again, motivated by the Great Commission, to connect with a vineyard church in Cordova, Spain. And my big question is, how can we help you guys? That's, that's, the mission, that's the reason I'm going to this, this trip. I've gone to Spain many, many times. I've come back from Spain discouraged many times, and I've seen some good things happen in Spain recently. But they've asked for, us to, for me to come out, and uh, we're trying to figure out, what would this look like? But I'm thinking, wait a bit. I know one thing Spanish people hate. They hate Americans telling them what to do. I mean, most people hate people telling them what to do, especially Americans. The Europeans hate us telling them what to do. So when we go do missions work in Spain, I want to say to them, Maybe you guys can do missions work here to Hopkinton. So I'm thinking, how do you help us do missions work over here? And then I thought, wait a bit. they got some awesome musicians out there, you know, like Spanish musicians. Pretty well. Imagine if I found a millennial guy out there who could actually lead worship and say, hey, why don't you come to Hopkinton for two months, work on your English a bit, and uh, lead us in worship. Wouldn't that be awesome? And, you know, so one of you might say, hey, yeah, it would be great. Uh, one of you might say, you know, I'd love to host somebody like that. That's another way you can help us with the, with the millennials. You might host somebody or invite somebody or at least you can pray for us to do this. But, I mean, do you understand the relevance and the importance from the Great Commission standpoint? We need this generation. I, I mean, and we're going to try everything we've got to shore up this part of our church. I think we're going to be tremendously rewarded uh, with their energy, with their creativity, and like Dick and, uh, Rick, and Dick, Dick and Rick Hoyt, we can do this. It's going to take a lot of energy, a lot of focus, a lot of e effort, but we can do it. And I'm just priming the pump with you guys saying, okay, this is what we want to do. This is the vision. This is how we're going to uh, go about expanding our vision. So why don't we stand, uh, I, I preach a little longer today, and have the worship team uh, come on up. And at the end of worship, if any of you want to pray for Liz and I, we'd appreciate you laying your hands on us and praying for us as we go out and once again try and do uh, mission work and the Great Commission in Spain. I'm so glad you all made it out today. Let's uh, worship the Lord. There's, there's lots to be thankful for.